Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created the show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. A primate is an any mammal of the group that includes some 200 species, including lemurs, lorises, tarsiers, monkeys, apes, and humans. They range in size from the Madame Berta's mouse lemur, weighing one ounce, to the eastern gorilla at over 440 pounds. Some key characteristics of a primate can include a larger brain relative to body size, increased visual perception over sense of smell, having opposable thumbs, and are primarily terrestrial, favoring bipedalism. They also tend to be the most social and intelligent of all animals, forming family groups, tribes, and or social systems, and able to communicate using hand gestures, facial expressions, smells, and also vocalizations. Because all primates are genetically similar, non-human primates are studied and researched to lend to the study of the human body. Due to the close genetic relationship and similar immune systems between non-human primates and humans, many disease-causing organisms are easily exchanged between them, including viruses like influenza, herpes, measles, HIV, and hepatitis. Science has discovered that our closest living relatives are chimpanzees, with a 98% DNA comparison, and that perhaps our lineage split from theirs some 7 million years ago. While the earliest species of Homo are known only from a few bone fragments, making them difficult to study, the first recognizable Homo appeared about 1.9 million years ago, and we call it Homo erectus. Homo erectus was an innovator, producing far more tools than any of its predecessors, but most likely was incapable of speech due to its anatomy. Then came Homo heidelbergensis, which had anatomy indistinguishable from ours, like the hyoid, for example, or the small bone used in the vocal apparatus. Homo sapiens are said to have evolved from Homo heidelbergensis some 200,000 years ago. Then came modern humans, while the Neanderthals and Denisovans went extinct. Enter Sasquatch. Some other names include Stone Giant, Bushman, Tree Man, Yeti, and Bigfoot. While early evidence of the existence of Bigfoot dates back 500 to 1,000 years ago with the Yokut petroglyphs on the Tule River Indian Reservation, in 2012, Melba Ketchum, a veterinary doctor and director of DNA diagnostics in Texas, proclaimed that not only does Sasquatch exist, but also it is a distinct 15,000-year-old species and is a cross between modern Homo sapiens and unknown primates. Since the first Bigfoot sighting, so many things have been submitted into evidence, from hair to prints and DNA samples, yet still many are skeptical, especially those in the scientific community. While skepticism has long provided an uphill battle for all things considered mysterious phenomenon, behavioral psychologists point out that as humans, we tend to have our causal beliefs influence our interpretation of what we see. So if we didn't see it, by which I mean we have never seen anything like it before in our lives to have an established belief for it, then it simply did not happen. To demonstrate this perhaps even further, let's discuss the invisible gorilla. While this may seem like a fitting term for the elusive Bigfoot, it actually refers to an experiment conducted in 2000. In the study, participants watched a video in which two teams, one in black shirts and one in white shirts, are passing the ball. The participants were then asked to count how many times the players in white shirts passed the ball. Midway through the video, a gorilla walks through the game, stands in the middle, pounds his chest, and then exits. When the participants were asked about the gorilla, more than half the time the subjects miss the gorilla entirely. Even after they are told there was a gorilla, the participants argued that there is no way they could have missed it. While this study concluded many findings, it would seem it also emphasized how we humans, when hard-focused on something, can miss a lot of other things going on, and also how we are not wired to see things in environments we normally might not. And just because science hasn't acknowledged Sasquatch does not mean they do not exist. 
Remember when science officially recognized the existence of gorillas in 1847? Yeah, a majority of people did not believe they existed either. Science is not entirely foolproof. It is based on mistakes, each leading to more truths. In fact, we are continuing to discover new species of animals that are extinct, and also those that are living now. No doubt, modern-day humans have undergone numerous morphological adaptations to help us survive throughout millions of years, and that our purposeful, intelligent behavior accelerated our evolution. However, while humans have greatly adapted to better fit our surroundings and all kinds of information is so readily available to us now, we still aren't as good at making sense of or using information as a guide in our decision-making process, nor are we taught to use our internal decision-maker or our intuition. Plus, we have become less able to survive in our natural surroundings, unlike our distant ancestors before us. Maybe Sasquatch was another ape-like human who chose to evolve in such a way to fit its outdoor environment so seemingly well that they are elusive, almost non-existent to humans. Perhaps its purpose is to help us to find our way back to our natural environment. Maybe as we continue to not only know our surroundings, but also ourselves better, will the invisible gorilla finally become visible. Today on Love from the Hip, it is my great pleasure to have bioacoustician David Ellis and field investigator Shane Corson from the Olympic Project. They will share with us what the Olympic Project is all about, some of their findings and analysis on Bigfoot, and even share some sound recordings of Sasquatch as well. So don't go anywhere. You won't want to miss it. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A Care.com. What would it be like to deeply remember the secrets of your soul so that you can travel the unknown with confidence and genuinely sit back, relax, enjoying life without all the everyday worries? I'm Jenda Shen, a mystic mentor who guides you to align and amplify your soul's true mission. Get healing, clarity around your next steps, release unresolved guilt, agreements, and karma so that you can fulfill your purpose and reach your utmost potential while experiencing true freedom. Awaken the soul power within you today with me, Jen Duchenne. Learn more at jenduchenne.com. That's J-E-N-D-U-C-H-E-N-E.com. 
Hypnotherapy helps you discover and explore deep, sustainable life changes. Let Sakura guide your communication with your unconscious mind. Rid yourself of negative behaviors, fears, pains, and emotions. Weight loss, smoking, childhood drama, chronic pain, and much more can be addressed. Begin healing now. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com. Bring out the healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip, that's H-Y-P, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having bioacoustician David Ellis and field investigator Shane Corson on my show. Hey, you two. Thanks for joining me today. Howdy, Sakura. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And where are you guys joining us from? Washington State. Oh, you're both here. Woodby yes. Island. Woodby yeah. Island. It's his own state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> own state of mind. <laughs> so tell us about the Olympic Project. When was it established and why? Um, it was uh, established, I believe, in 2008, 2009. Um, Derek Randalls and Rich Germo uh, were... Uh, close friends and hiking partners and hunting partners and um, Rich had at a sighting and uh, Derek became interested in forming a group and they received a, a grant of um, trail cameras from a uh, wealthy benefactor. Okay. And so where are the research areas located? Go ahead, Shane. Yeah, so we, we have a couple of different areas. We uh, mainly in the Olympics. That's our main focus is in the Olympics. Um, uh, east side, west side, all around the Olympics. We do have a couple of other little areas of interest in southwestern Washington, and uh, but mainly mainly we focus on the Olympics. Okay. Now I do work with uh, people all over North America and uh, a few people down under uh, as well. So you guys are sharing in my... information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a 24-hour surveillance site? Yes. Um, right now, we're conducting a uh, it's a LDRs, long-duration recorders, in an area of interest, actually in, in the nesting area, which I guess we'll talk about here later. But yeah. uh, we've been uh, steadily for the last two years recording every night. Um, we do have a few game cameras out there, but our main focus right now is is the the audio uh, aspect to uh, this phenomenon. Okay. And then what kinds of people are involved? Are there scientists, re other researchers, just Bigfoot enthusiasts? <laughs> well, we have about uh, 30 plus folks that are involved in the Olympic project with varying degrees and credentials. Um, we have uh, uh, people that have got degrees in biology and anthropology. And uh, we have people that are uh, experts in uh, identification of hair um, and uh, we also have, you know, folks like myself that have specific interests, uh, which in my particular case is sound and sound analysis. Mm -hmm. And that's an, a bioacoustician, which is not an easy <laughs> word to say. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> roll off my tongue. So I'm glad you're saying it. <laughs> well, before we get into your individual expertise, when it comes to Bigfoot, I want to ask both of you, what, what is it? What do you think Bigfoot is? Go ahead, Shane. I'll follow you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, for me, that's not a huge question. Uh, I'm more interested in why they why they do what they do and how they, they manage to avoid us. But, uh, you know, is it is it a ancestor of like Gigantopithecus Black Sea? Is it, uh, uh, you know, uh, a sort of, uh, I can't say the word, Australopithecine, you know, a uh, hominid? Um, I don't know. I, I do believe it is a, a it is a some sort of primate. Um, but you know, that's a lengthy statement there because, um, we're, we're primates ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it, it has both characteristics I see as human-like and then also very, uh, ape-like. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, it's almost like a mixture of the two. Um, so I, I never uh, try to put Sasquatch in a corner, so to speak. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure exactly what they are, but, um, they're very similar to us in all aspects and, and very similar to, 
non-human primates like, like gorillas and, and chimps and, and orangs and stuff like that. So it is truly fascinating. Uh, I, David, you know, and that's one thing about the Olympic project. We all kind of have some different ideas, but we all have the same goals at the end. Right. And so uh, go ahead, David. Well, I think evidence shows that it's obviously an unknown creature, but it leaves tracks and it leaves hair samples. Uh, it has, uh, I believe it vocalizes. Can't prove that, but we get uh, pretty darn close. Um, and I, you know, tens of thousands of eyewitnesses that have seen something bipedal. It's a hairy hominid, usually of extreme height. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward a relic hominid uh, that obviously has some uh, extraordinary capabilities. Okay. Now, are there different species of Sasquatch? Um, you know, I, I think that there are differences, just like there's differences in the human population. Uh, I don't know if we can say that there's uh, a, a different species, but there may be some that look different in different areas mm -hmm. then um, and that's panning out because of eyewitnesses uh, saying they look a certain way but it doesn't match a way it looks say in washington versus virginia right so, you know that kind of a thing so that to me means it's a, a a living population living breeding population with diversity yeah i mean geographically there could be differences and variances i mean if you look at the like the common black bear you always see in your mind a black bear, but they come in multiple colors. You have blonde black bear, uh, auburn color, like a reddish black bear. You have a blue black bear and black. I mean, so there's variances and differences, but they're still a black bear. Right. Okay. Now let's talk about its ideal habitat. Where are we most likely to encounter Bigfoot? Yeah. So um, at least up here in the Pacific Northwest, we have, you know, a lot of, you know, rainforests. Uh, we have year-round food. We have different climates. In a lot of cases, you have these microclimates where there's loads and loads of food. Um, where we seem to be getting, you know, striking gold is areas where there are rivers, creeks, mountains, meadows with absolute plentiful amount of food where something can go from mountaintop to, to meadow or baseline uh, below the mountain, depending on the weather. You know, if you got, you know, you can follow the elk. The elk will go up high and then they'll come down low. They'll follow the snow line and the food sources. And up here in the, you know, up here in Washington, in the Olympics, we have that where something could get out of those extreme weather patterns and into something more comfortable where it can survive and thrive. And so you're going to, I think Sasquatch, um, you know, they don't necessarily, necessarily need remote areas. There's plenty of uh, reports of them in and around uh, human habitation, uh, but they do need cover. They need shelter. They need food. They need water. Those, you know, what most animals need. And so uh, some of the areas we've been looking into, um, have I mean most of them have all of those characteristics and so uh, you know follow the black bear follow the elk they they survive and thrive as well and uh, do really good up in the Olympics so uh, like a, the Olympics for example is a great area now you got places like Ohio and Florida with different weather patterns and different scenarios um, and once again you, you know you may not have the mountains but you do have remoteness you do have thick force and uh, a lot of these other places are, you know, they're, they're different than, say, Washington State or the Pacific Northwest, but they have everything needed to have uh, something like a Sasquatch, uh, you know, surviving. Now, is that why we have the most sightings here in the Pacific Northwest? Um, I, why do we have the most sightings in the Pacific Northwest? Um, I, I believe that it's a habitat uh, scenario. They do seem to prefer forested scenarios. But like Shane said, that uh, they utilize the streams, they utilize creeks, they utilize swamps, um, they go where we ain't. Mm -hmm. um, but contrary to that, they also uh, seem to uh, be quite comfortable with uh, living on the edge of humanity. Mm -hmm. uh, th and that's why we have a lot of uh, different sightings, uh, because it takes two things. It takes a Sasquatch and a, and a person to be in the same place at the same time to have that encounter so you know where do we go uh, hmm. is 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 probably the question I like that. um so yeah the, uh, they have uh, a sense of security around us um obviously they're 100 successful so <laughs> <laughs> their strategy works right and now they're also referred to as the ridgeline apes is that correct 
they got they got a a, a lot of different names um yes, i kind of coined yeah <laughs> yeah I, I mean i uh i don't know if you're referring to ridge ape which i kind of coined i wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel but uh, we do get a lot of activity uh as dave and i were talking about earlier uh, along ridges but specifically below ridge lines um they, they go by wood ape um you know stick man yucca man you, i mean sasquatch <laughs> bigfoot they got a lot of different names. Uh, I mean, most, uh, almost every, every Native American and First Nations tribe have a name for Sasquatch, like Skookum, for example. Yeah. Um, and they all have their own name for this thing. And, uh, and, and then there's lots of other names out there as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Shane, let's talk about what Bigfoot does eat. Well, all conjecture. Uh, obviously, all conjecture. I, I've sure. never actually seen a Sasquatch grab, you know, an apple and eat an apple. But um, you know, a lot, you know, there's lots of things they could eat out here. We have at uh, least specifically talking about uh, the Pacific Northwest. We have just an uh, incredible amount of wild berries. You know, you got your huckleberry, red, uh, blue huckleberry, evergreen, you have your salal berry, you have Oregon grape, you have just lots of different berries, you have lots of different mushrooms. Um, you know, people hypothesize and it's been spoken that uh, Sasquatch eats skunk cabbage to devil's club. Um, you know, they've been reported to, to raid uh, crops such as cabbage and apple. Uh, apple seems to be a big one. But then again, bear and deer love apple as well. Uh, so there's lots of foods. Also, um, salmon. Uh, salmon, uh, we get like right now up in some of these uh, Olympic rivers, we're getting a huge chum run. And that's mm-hmm. where you'll see bear come down and, and other animals. And, and a lot of Sasquatch reports occur around bodies of water, specifically rivers and creeks. And up here, we get a lot of salmon that come up these uh, rivers and just talk about protein galore. Mm-hmm. Um, they may also eat uh, and predate upon deer and elk, which are plentiful up here. Lots of reports of them doing that. Um, I also think they are scavengers and opportunistic uh, creatures where, you know, once again, lots of reports of them eating roadkill or mm-hmm. having roadkill. Um, so that's why it magically moss. disappears. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Clean oh, up that, on IL-3. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Shane, as an avid hunter, have you noticed then, you were talking about the, the chum coming in and the bears. Have you noticed less of the bears when the Bigfoot are around? You know, that's, a, that's something I've picked up on, at least in, in, in an area, one area we're working in. I've started to pick up on that. Uh, and we do have a lot of black bear up in this area. Right. But when we're having this suspect activity, you know, um, where we're finding tracks or, or finding or, or getting some really uh, interesting audio, I've noticed the lack of black bear uh, mm-hmm. in this area. Um, not, they're not generally too far away, but they just seem to be kind of, okay, uh, we got company, probably not good to, to be around here. Um, but, you know, that's, once again, just an idea. I mean, there's reports. I mean, where black bear are, I think Sasquatch could be and vice versa. Um, but, you know, when, 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 uh, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead and get another one for me. I lost <laughs> no, my train of thought no, there. No, that's okay. <laughs> so like other animal packs, Shane, would you say that there are also alphas in Bigfoot? Um, quite possibly. I mean, that's a, a valid scenario. Um, you know, if you look at known animals, uh, you know, where it's coyotes or even look at, uh, you know, great apes like gorillas, chimpanzees, there's always this alpha. Um, they kind of need that. To, to move around, to protect an area. Um, I would assume that there's probably some sort of alpha within, if they are in sort of a family unit or a group unit, I, w- I would definitely assume so. I was going to mention, I remember what I was going to say. Um, you know, when you have an apex predator in an area, <clears throat> such as, say, a Sasquatch or a cougar, you know, um, the, the wildlife disperse. They, you'll get real quiet. They recognize, pardon me, that an apex predator is in that area and they don't want to give themselves up. So that's something uh, I also have noticed when we've had possible activity is that uh, the forest seems to get null of of life. Hmm. And uh, so um, it gets real quiet. quiet. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Shane, I believe that the nest area, the original nest area kind of shone some light on the fact that there could be an alpha present with that one large nest and then the, the rocks used that were scored for uh, knocking, uh, we assume. So I, I think that there is a good case for um, clans, if you want to use that term, uh, with an alpha. Okay. Now, why haven't we found any remains? <laughs> 
Short answer. <laughs> sure. They bury their dead. <laughs> they bury their dead. Wow. So yeah. it's ceremonial, you believe. They're more cultural than you would assume. Wow. Okay. That's the first time I've heard that. Now, what about their scat? I mean, is it because they they consume so much like a, a bear that we may actually misconstrue it for a bear scat? You you nailed it there. Uh, I think because they obviously, you know, in my opinion, eat the same things. It's going to look very similar, um, very similar. Uh, there are there have been some differences, but most people out uh, that are hiking around that come across scat, they're not going to associate it ever with a Sasquatch. They're going to associate it with a really large bear, right. you know, um, and, and a lot of times uh, there's um, theories that, and, and there have been sightings uh, to this nature where Sasquatch has been seen defecating in rivers and creeks, walking in and squatting. And then, so you're not going to find it if they do something of that, you know, caliber, mm-hmm. um, quite a few different reports like that. Um, but, you know, and, and once again, you know, um, I, I do come across occasionally black bear scat. It doesn't last long. It, it dissipates and disappears. Uh, and so uh, whether they're careful where they leave some excrement or uh, we just don't come across it that often, but we, we actually have, I believe, come across Sasquatch scat in the past. But what do you do with that? As uh, Dr. Meldrum will tell you, there's not a lot of DNA you can do on it unless you have two fresh impressions and the scat in the middle of those impressions steaming, because <laughs> what you're going to test on that scat is a fine film that dissipates rather quickly. And that's what you really want to capture. So yeah, you know, we can find scat, but what are you going to do with it? Right. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break, but everyone stay tuned for the weekly skinny up next and more love from the hit. Don't go anywhere. On this weekly skinny, since we are discussing the big hairy Sasquatch today, I thought it only fitting to talk about peach fuzz, also known as vellus hairs, which are those finer, shorter, softer, and often lighter hairs. These hairs tend to cover most of the body, but do not grow on your palms, soles of your feet, eyelids, or lips. During puberty, a release of hormones like that of androgens causes many of the vellus hairs to change to terminal hair, which is coarser, thicker, and usually darker than peach fuzz. For boys, for example, their vellus hairs on their lips and chin becomes darker and thicker, forming mustaches and beards. The purpose of peach fuzz is to regulate the body temperature by either helping it to cool down by wicking away sweat or staying warm by providing insulation. The other purpose of these tiny hairs is to help you sense your surroundings, just like in the case of getting goosebumps your peach fuzz allows you to feel those. While peach fuzz is common for every individual, an abnormal amount can be attributed to some sort of illness, disorder, or even medication. Chemotherapy, for example, while it can cause terminal hair to fall out, it can be known to change terminal hair to vellus hair as well. Other examples of conditions which can cause an irregular growth of peach fuzz can include Cushing syndrome, hypertrichosis, and male pattern baldness. Thanks to the advancement in photography and film, more and more people, especially women, are noticing their peach fuzz and aren't too keen on keeping it. Fortunately, there are many ways to get rid of it, although most aren't permanent. Let's start with one treatment that can be permanent, provided the esthetician is performing it correctly, and that is electrolysis. Electrolysis uses a very fine needle which is inserted into the hair follicle. The needle must reach the base of the hair follicle where the blood supply is located. Heat accompanies this needle to cauterize the blood supply. After the needle is removed from the follicle, tweezers are used to lift the hair out of the skin. This method will be the most expensive, the most painful, and definitely the most time-consuming. A cheaper alternative for removing peach fuzz is waxing. However, it is not something I recommend for full face as it can increase broken capillaries and skin sensitivity. It can also be quite painful and only lasts about four to six weeks. Threading is another method, about as painful and quick as waxing, but not as damaging when it comes to full face. Oftentimes, however, the hair can be broken instead of pulled, which means it may not last as long. Hair removal creams are another option. However, due to all of the chemicals, it is not something I recommend. Probably the best option for peach fuzz is dermaplaning. This non-invasive method using a scalpel blade not only removes peach fuzz, but removes layers of dead skin as well. This method addresses the health of the skin along with the vellus hairs. If your peach fuzz is bothering you, 
Contact SakuraSkinandMind.com and schedule an appointment for dermal planning. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R.com. Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial designed for your rugged skin. A deep cleansing clinical facial is like a one, two, three punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A. SkinAndMind.com. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y. R-E-I-C-H dot com. Is your tween starting to experience a change in their skin? Want to get them on an easy at-home routine and have good skin hygiene? Allow Sakura Skin in Mind to help your tween out. This brief, deep cleansing and educational 35-minute facial is just enough to get your tween, ages 10 to 12 years old, started off in the right direction. Sakura Skin in Mind uses the latest in the clinical skincare industry to care for your tween the right way. Sakura Skin in Mind, treating skin out there with an ounce of treatment and a pound of protection. Call 206-730-7429 or go to sakuraskinandmind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just tuning in, I am having a discussion on one of my favorite topics, Bigfoot, with David Ellis and Shane Corson from the Olympic Project located here in the Pacific Northwest. So, David, let's talk about the sounds of Sasquatch. Okie doke. Yeah. How exactly are you (laughs) recording? Well, I prefer to use uh, high quality digital recorders. I've kind of gone through the gamut. I've uh, got uh, very high equipment uh, that can collect sounds from a specific direction, but found that it was uh, not as good as omnidirectional microphones. You never know where the sound is going to come from. So I. I just use a, uh, I standardized on a, um, a Roland uh, digital recorder um, for, for my work. It does certain things that I prefer. So um, yeah, you can uh, just leave it in the field and <laughs> let it do its thing while you go and do your thing. So. Now, now when you're leaving it in the field, how do you distinguish yeah. between Bigfoot and all the other animals? Okay, so there's a specific way I analyze audio. So once you record it, now you have the uh, you know option of just listening to it, or the way I like to do it is visually through a spectrogram. So I load it into software that converts the uh, uh, audio into a visual format. 
and it's uh, akin shortly uh, a short description of looking at a fingerprint which has uh, a whole lot of detailed information well that's the same thing with the sound and i can tell an owl from a coyote from um you know a, a bear they all have their own individual uh, significant uh identification markers and uh, I've gone through, go ahead. Oh, and th like those I, those markers are in a library, right? A sound library? Well, they're in, uh, yes, the Macaulay Library of Sound is uh, the disinterested third party that I like to use. Uh, they have their uh, documented sound that was actually seen by the field investigator. Uh, it has a number and uh, you can then compare it to what you've recorded and uh, look at it visually and look for the, the mar similar markers. Now, uh, if they sound similar, but have different markers, then that may be suspicious. Mm -hmm. So it goes into that suspicious category for me. Now, does it also distinguish between humans and also maybe something that's fabricated? Uh Actually, um, I believe so. Yes, I have looked at enough uh, sounds of humans uh, vocalizing and, and have enough uh, knowledge of what that sound looks like versus some of the stranger sounds that we're recording. Now, you also had the pleasure of working with a crypto linguist. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, I have been mentored by um, a crypto linguist that goes by the moniker Monongahela. Mm -hmm. He has a government position, so he prefers to keep his name and identity uh, not well known. So uh, that's that's fine. I understand that. Uh, but I've been working with him since 2010, and he's showed me quite a few different things that um, are, are very interesting. So Yeah, and it wasn't one of the things he was talking about is what you're hearing, maybe not so much in the sound, but you're slowing it down to hear the things you might be missing? Oh, uh, not necessarily slowing it down, but uh, just to be able to visually look at the at the cues. Okay. Now, does the uh, software I do use, I can actually slow it down uh, and not lose its uh, hertz range that it's uh, vocalizing in, um, but I, I typically don't need to do that. Okay. Now, are Bigfoot sounds outside of the human range of hearing? Okay, so uh, there is some speculation that yes, uh, don't know for sure. There have been other scientists that have looked at things and come up with markers that they claim are outside uh, human uh, understanding. But probably the most specific one that uh, most people are interested in is um, infrasound, which is below our threshold of hearing. It is the lowest possible sound. And you literally feel it, but don't hear it. And so people have been having reactions in the field that are akin to some of the effects that infrasound produces, such as high anxiety and fear and trepidation. And uh, they can't exactly define where that source is coming from. All of a sudden, they just are shook. That's and fascinating. Need, yeah. <laughs> so it's the now... Uh, Elephants and tigers and whales and other mammals do create infrasound. Right. So it's uh, not a wild theory to assume something of this size can create something that has that effect. Now, has have you or has anyone started to catalog each of the sounds of Sasquatch and maybe translate that into our own words or a language? Well, I've been I've been cataloging sounds, but um, there's no way to uh, accurately translate uh, because you don't have the, the proper context of what it's relating this the sound to. Right. So um, there are times when you I have picked up what I call chatter and which are similar to what people may recognize as the Sierra sounds captured by Al Berry and Ron Moorhead in the Sierras. Uh, that's probably the most well-known. Um, uh, if you, people were to hear sounds, they would uh, uh, attribute it to what uh, those are, is contained in those recordings. And how many recordings do you have? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have counted over 
10,000 audio clips um, from thousands of hours of audio. All right. Um, it's not little. So, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I haven't recorded all of that. Um, it's, a lot of it has been recorded by witnesses that have uh, done long-term projects with me. And also, I get audio from all over the country. People say, David, what's this? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, with that, we're going to take another break, but everyone stick around for more Love from the Hip. And when we come back, David's going to share some of these sounds of Sasquatch with all of you. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R.com. Peach fuzz is great if it's on a peach. Let Sakura Skin and Mind remove unsightly hair with dermaplaning. Although its primary purpose is to remove layers of dead skin, it's just one of the added benefits leaving your skin baby smooth, safe, effective, fast, and affordable. What a concept! Sakura Skin and Mind wants you to look your very best, and dermaplaning is just one tool in their chest. Find out about dermaplaning at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. We bring out the healthy skin and healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H.com. Your skin is your body's largest organ. Care for it properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers several clinical facial treatments to help stimulate collagen production, eliminate toxins, boost circulation, and deeply cleanse. See a new you in your mirror. Clinical facials range from $90 and up. Do your face a favor. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more, sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U. URA skinandmind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, I have David Ellis and Shane Corson here with us from the Olympic Project located here in the Pacific Northwest. All right, David. So before we jump into these sounds, can you share some of the context with my listeners? Sure. Uh, the first clip that we're going to play was uh, recorded here in the state of Washington uh, on a reservoir where many sightings had happened. Uh, it's, the uh, audio is looped several times. It's a, a, a long call, if you will, um, five, six seconds long. So it only vocalized uh, once, but uh, you'll hear it in a loop. Then the second one that we're going to hear is the same identical uh, uh, vocalization again, but the second uh, vocal in that clip was recorded by Charlie Page of the BFRO in Ohio. So I recorded mine in 2007. He recorded his in 2013. Um, so there's quite a quite a distance in space, but they almost sound identical. All right. Well, let's play those. 
All right. Yeah, those sound completely identical. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what uh, really got me jazzed was the uh, the similarity and the distance and the and the time. Uh-huh. You know, they sound like they're the same identical creature, Absolutely. which they probably are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's play sound number three. And what is the context of sound number three here? Um, okay, so we don't have baboons in the woods, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so uh, what we're going to hear is what's called the baboon bark. It's a kind of like a, a wahoo sound, and then something that I recorded here in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> That definitely sounds like a baboon. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have baboons. No, we don't have tell. baboons. <laughs> well, I was hoping you guys can thank you for sharing those sounds. And I know we're running out of time here, but I was hoping you could share briefly with us the fascinating story of what was discovered by a timber cruiser and also the Olympic project. Yeah, so back in 2015, there was a timber surveyor on private timberland. Uh, this guy's been doing this for 27 years. He's He goes out in these remote areas and marks timber areas to be cut. And usually along creek beds, you have to stay a certain distance away. And as he's traversing through this very thick huckleberry, he climbs up on this little uh, this little uh, finger coming off a ridge line or a plateau. And he came across a couple of these really large ground nests. Uh, and they looked like giant gorilla beds or nests made out of huckleberry over a foot in depth ranging in size from, you know, uh, four feet across to over eight and a half feet across. All the huckleberry in this area had been completely snapped, twisted, or broken off with no sign of teeth marks, claw marks. It took something with an opposable thumb to create these ground nests. Uh, the Olympic Project uh, were contacted. Derek Randalls of the Olympic Project was contacted, and along with uh, our partner James Million and uh, a couple of DNR, Department of Natural Resources, and the timber owner, they went out to this area to look at these ground nests and uh, nobody could recognize them and all their years of traversing uh, you know Derek's an avid outdoorsman hunter hiker um, professional guide none of these guys in all the years had seen anything like this and we subsequently got permission to study this area and to date we've come across 24 of these large ground nests and in many cases are in clusters you know say of seven very strategically placed along these fingers above salmon bearing creeks and um, they're all made at the same time of various sizes, uh, but it took something with intelligence to make them because we brought Dr. Meldrum of Idaho State U- University uh, out and, and we deconstructed one of these nests and found that some of the huckleberry boughs had been pushed into the ground and then the nest formulated around it, kind of like a frame. Hmm. So something with intelligence, something with a pulsable thumb, absolutely. And we did find large impressions in this area. Today, we found hand impressions, foot impressions. We have the, this hair uh, that uh, matches other unknown hair from around the United States. And uh, we have all the audio that we collected with it. So it's an ongoing study for us. It's very fascinating. And we have brought bear biologists out to this area, anthropologists, zoologists, and they're all fascinated with it. And nobody has an answer. Wow. Now, why huckleberries? Well, it, honestly, it's predominantly the, the main thing in this area. But the, uh, it's also a plentiful food source. Uh, and the huckleberry in this area is over nine feet tall in some cases, but we did find that the huckleberry has a medicinal purpose. Mm. Uh, women used to be given this from doctors, a concoction of huckleberry and sugar after childbirth to regain their strength. And one of our ideas with this area is that this is actually like a nursery or a birthing area. I don't think Sasquatch makes nests every night. I think they make them for a purpose for a season. Uh, We do believe they're being made in the month of February, which chimes in with the the salmon runs. Hmm. And there are still huckleberries in this area. And huckleberry, the the branch is very comfortable to lay on. And it's pointing out, again, their intelligence, their level of intelligence. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. So what do you believe is Bigfoot's purpose? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, like we talked about earlier, if uh, humanity fails... They are the, uh, the the next in line. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure what our purpose is. Um, it, it's just uh, evolution and we fill a niche and they seem to be able to occupy the same space that we do, but not leave any um, notion that they're around. 
Yeah, I was going to say too. I mean, if you look at nature as a whole, everything has a purpose. We, we may not recognize that purpose, but you know, a black bear has a purpose, uh, a wolf, uh, a deer, a bird, a worm, a frog, a fish, they all have their purpose in their environments. And I, I think uh, we just haven't recognized Sasquatch's purpose yet. And maybe we're not meant to, but mm-hmm. uh, everything has a purpose. Uh, and as David said, I don't know sometimes what our purpose is. Right. So maybe after we realize what ours is, we can realize what what theirs is as well. (laughs) So I know we don't have time to jump into each of your personal encounters, but I was curious how many encounters you both have had and when was your first encounter? What year? Uh, My first encounter was in 1963. I was 11 years old. Okay. Wow. (laughs) My my encounter uh, happened in uh, August of 2011 down in the Mount Hood area of Oregon. Um, I did have a sighting. It solidified the existence for Sasquatch for me. Uh, subsequently, I believe since I've really gone into this uh, investigation, this research, I do believe I've been, uh, I've never had another sighting, uh, but I, I think uh, I've, I've been very close and have had other encounters. Um, and uh, I can back some of that up with some physical uh, evidence. So it, it's uh, the more time you're in the woods, the better your chance are. That's awesome. And what are you both hoping to bring to the world with your involvement with the Olympic project and the Bigfoot research? Well, I'm just hoping to up the bar. Um, I believe that um, sound is a uh, quality subject to pursue. And uh, I I see more and more people getting involved uh, in it as time goes on. So uh, I feel happy about that. Yeah, and I I really, uh, you know, there's a lot of mysteries out there. And I I just want people to keep an open mind on it. I think uh, one of the most important things we can do based on some of the people that we, we've uh, worked with and, and known over the years, like uh, Dr. John Binnernagel, the late John, Dr. John Binnernagel, he wanted to make this subject matter less taboo. He wanted academia and his peers to at least create a conversation and not shut him down or shut this subject down. So if we can get conversation going, make the subject less taboo, uh, because regardless if you, you, know, you, you believe in Sasquatch or whatnot, uh, there's a lot of tangible stuff here if you sit down and look at everything. I love that. Well, where can my listeners learn more about the Olympic Project and the work you're doing and also maybe get involved? Well, we have a web page, a web presence, olympicproject.com. If you go there, you will find a whole bunch of information uh, specifically towards uh, why is you. I think you were going to ask why are Sasquatch blurry? Yes. Uh, There is a paper (laughs) out now where the Patterson-Gimlin film has been uh, redigitized and uh, using artificial intelligence. And that paper can be found on the Relic Hominid Inquiry on Jeff Meldrum, uh, Idaho State University. All right. Well, thank you guys both for being here today. Thank you. I mean, I could talk about Sasquatch for weeks on end, but we've got to (laughs) go. So (laughs) thank you again. Thank Thank you. And thank you to my producer, Nathan. And thank you to you, the listener, KKNW, KBKW, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. And tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip presents the Conscious Coaching Hour. Stay kind out there. Stay true to you. And don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead. I dare you.